Luke 22, 39, New King James Version. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed. He prayed there a lot, sounds like. And his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed. This is what he said. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Tonight I want to speak on the words that Jesus said, not my will. God bless you. Please be seated. Uh, there's a prayer meeting waiting and bedtimes and all of that. So please put your mental tennis shoes on. I will try to hurry. Your will is a really big deal. And everyone has a will. Some people have a strong will. Some people are weak will. We might think of a, the will of a strong person as a determination, a tenacity to succeed and overcome. Some people lose their will to live. And your will is a determining factor in your spiritual trajectory for eternity. But the will that I'm talking about tonight, the will to which I refer, is that gift from God that gives you and me a choice. It is often called free will, your free will, the freedom to choose to assert self-will or to submit your will to God. In the Bible, self-will in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, it's, it's, a, it's in a wicked sense of wantonness. In the New Testament, it has the, carries the idea of self-pleasing, of arrogant or overbearing. 2 Peter 2 and 10, the Apostle Peter writes about those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority they are presumptuous self-will. Paul wrote to Titus and said that a bishop, a leader of a church, must not be self-will. Self-will is a, is a dangerous thing. And self-will, I'll say this later, but it is, the, it is the essence of sin, Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah, the Lord is saying that everyone is turned to his own way. It sounds something like the book of Judges where everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. I've observed that the progressive nature of sin goes like this. That, that at the root of sin is the sense of autonomy. That I am going to be self-governing. No one will tell me what to do. That is self-will. And that is the essence of sin. That we have turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord sacrificed his life for people like us. But this sense of autonomy leads to rebellion or rejecting the will of God. Because I want my will to be done then I reject the will of God 
and I rebel against God's will. Now, so far, maybe nothing that we would call sinful has been done. It's still in the attitude. It's still in the will. It's still somewhat internalized. But autonomy leads to rebellion, and rebellion leads to unrighteousness. Selfish and rebellious attitudes lead to ungodly behavior. Now you live it out. You say things and do things that are against the nature of God and the word of God. So autonomy leads to rebellion and rebellion leads to unrighteousness. In the beginning of world history, sin enters the world through self-will. And in the end of all things, Jesus Christ will put down all competing realms of authority. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. You know, in Philippians, Paul said that every knee shall bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, of things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So self-will is a really big deal. So I want you to think about this. How does an angel become the devil? Uh, Satan is described as the devil, and it, it kind of means someone who is, like it's referred to him as an entity, but later becomes his name, the devil and Satan. Those two names are used often in the Bible, but he's often described as the tempter, Beelzebub, the enemy, the evil one, Belial, the adversary, the deceiver, the dragon, the father of lies, a murderer, a sinner, and but like 70 out of 83 times that he's referred to in the Bible, it's Satan or the devil. But from the beginning, he was not that. In the beginning, he's a high-ranking angelic being. Ezekiel 28 speaks about him, and uh, this is a double reference to the king of Tyre and also the devil. I have most commentaries uh, that are somewhat conservative would believe this is a double reference and kind of he, he moves from talking about the king of Tyre to Satan. And he says, thus saith the Lord, you are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You are in Eden, the garden of God. Well, that can't be the king of Tyre, right? Every precious stone was your covering. The sardas, topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, emerald, and gold, the workmanship, of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. These verses are not on the screen, but it's Ezekiel 28, 14 now. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I establish you, the Lord said. You are on the holy mountain of God. You walk back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. That is this covering cherub, this perhaps second in command. Maybe in human governments, we would refer to him as God's prime minister, maybe the highest of all angels. He's called 
the anointed or the covering cherub. He appears to have been the most beautiful of God's creation, but not content with who he was. It's fascinating, and you can read a lot about this, that he seems like he didn't just play music, but he was music. That he didn't just play the keyboard or the Hammond B3 or C3. He was, he had timbrels and pipes that were created in him to give praise to God. Fascinating what he was. But Lucifer, because of his beauty, instead of using his created ability to give glory to God, he resented God. He desired to be God. Essentially, he wanted to kick God off his throne and take over. He wanted to be God. And the desire that he had was the same temptation that he offered to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. Now, this is kind of an allusion to this idea that perhaps Satan started a campaign to subvert other angelic beings to join him in his rebellion. Ezekiel 28, 16 says, By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. And tells the consequences that I'll read a little bit about later. One commentary said the word trade or traffic is from a Hebrew word that means to go about either with the purpose of trade or for slanderous gossip. Ezekiel may be referring to how Satan went around slanderously gossiping about God and inciting other angels to turn away from God. You see people doing this like Absalom who stood in the gate and turned the hearts of the people away from his father, the king. So whatever really happened there, we know that according to Revelation 12 and 4, it appears that he drew a third part of the stars of heaven, that a third of the angelic host defected with Satan and like him, turned from angels to devils. God judged all of them. Ezekiel 28, 16 says that the Lord cast him out as a profane thing. Out of the mountain of God, I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Isaiah 14 and 15 says, Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, or hell, and the King James, to the lowest depths of the pit. It is not surprising that Satan represents everything God hates. Proverbs 6, 16. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A literary device to get to seven. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Satan in heaven sowing discord even among his angelic cohorts, his comrades. Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, speak about this. And the Bible in Ezekiel 28, I told you I would come back to this. Ezekiel 28, 15. You were perfect in all your ways from the day you were created. I stopped there a little while ago. Till iniquity was found in you. Now, I want you to think about this. How long did that take? And when did that happen? Was it like flipping a switch? Was it a process? 
I, I cannot fathom God tolerating iniquity. What was percolating in Satan's, uh, excuse me, Lucifer, you know, pre-fall, that angelic being? What was going on in him? And then God found iniquity. All of a sudden, there was no, iniqu there was no iniqui iniquity in him. Then all of a sudden, there was iniquity in him. It was found in him. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing. I, I noted in studying this message that the Bible doesn't say that Satan fell. It says that Satan was cast out. You know, we say that man fell from grace by sin. Now, they were also cast out of the Garden of Eden. Satan is cast out of heaven as a profane thing, out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, I think we're repeating this, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor, and I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. Now, Satan describes, excuse me, Isaiah, not Satan. Isaiah describes Satan's five I wills. And I want you to see them uh, because we're talking about the will, our will, my, my will, and your will. And we're looking at what happened to Satan. Isaiah 14, 12. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will. Please don't say I will right now. It just sounds scary, doesn't it? I will. The essence of all sin. Autonomy. We've turned everyone to his own way. That thing that was in Satan that was at the root of rebellion against God. I will ascend into heaven. There are five of them. I will Exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. And then he says, finally, I will be like the most high. Scared to even read that, right? But then the Lord says, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to hell, to the lowest depths of the pit. I will ascend. I will exalt. I will sit. I will ascend. I will be like. Uh, all of us have a human will. And years ago, James Dobson wrote a book called The Strong-Willed Child. And all of us thought he wrote it for us, for our children. Wasn't written for my parents, but they would have needed two copies or four copies. Four strong willed kids. But here is Lucifer. He goes from being in the presence of God to being cast out of God's presence. He was as beautiful as precious gems, but his heart was lifted up because of his beauty. And he thought he was really something. That's what Ezekiel 28, 17 says. 
He was perfect in all of his ways from the day he was created. Everything about him was immaculate. There was no flaw in him the way God created him. But what got in him destroyed him. So how does an angel become a devil? How does the covering cherub become the prince and power of the air? How, how does that happen? And if you look at the scriptures, and I've kind of already covered this in the scriptures, it is self-will, it is a spirit of I will, and it is rejecting the sovereignty of God in your life. I don't really know this. We don't know this. I referred to this a while ago. In Satan, I don't know if it was a process. I don't know how God, you know, like you can't trick God. You can't fool him. So there's no iniquity there, and then there's iniquity there. And was it something that stirred up in him? Was God tolerant of that, or was it instantaneous? But Satan allowed iniquity in his heart, and iniquity, by the way, is a crookedness, a perverseness. It is to go astray. It is Satan. Look who you are. You're second to Almighty God. But that's not good enough for self-will. And, and I found that with my will and with human will, that whatever God has for us, if, if we are trying to exalt ourselves, if we are all about ourselves, good is never good enough. There's always this desire for exaltation, to climb the ladder. And that's why so much of the New Testament is about the way up is down. And then he that is greatest of all, let him be the servant of all. So much about the kingdom of God turns the world's way upside down. Because it is rooted in this sin of self-will. And that's why my message is not my will. Now, Satan obviously had a free will, a gift from God. It appears biblically that in angels, and I can't develop a theology about this, that once they made that decision once, they were gone forever. That they can't repent. They can't be redeemed. There's no blood shed for them. I've lived long enough, and most of us have, to see people flip-flop in their, you know, they love him, they love him not, they love God but if an angel, it's one and done. They were gone. Uh, but in the spirit of a human being, if you read Romans 1 and other passages of Scripture, when you reject the lordship of Jesus Christ, the attitude of rejecting God's sovereignty in your life, it's really not something that you flip-flop on from day to day. You may be like Simon Peter. You have a weak will and you succumb to temptation to deny the Lord, but this is something deeper, it seems, that was in Satan. Lifted up in pride, full of himself. And in a moment, the Bible said in Ezekiel 28, he was cast out as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. In Luke 10 and 18, Jesus said, I saw Satan like lightning fall from heaven. So I've referred to this scripture through the years because, you know, you wonder when God and the devil get in the ring, how long does the match last? The boxing match, the, the MMA, the wrestling match. Is it like 15 rounds in a technical knockout? Is it, does God win on points? But that's not the way the Bible said. When God is through tolerating Satan as the prince and power of the air, 
a single angel will cast him into the bottom, bottomless pit. And when God got ready for him to leave heaven, it wasn't a shoving match. It was instantaneous. It was at the speed of lightning cast out of heaven. God doesn't play. So standing in sharp contrast to Satan, the epitome of rebellion, is Jesus Christ, the epitome of submission. The Bible says in multiple places, Hebrews 10 and 9, I came to do thy will, O God. Jesus said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me, John 6, 38. Romans 5, 19, so by one man's obedience shall many be made righteous. At the age of about 33 in the prime of his life, Jesus Christ faced the most difficult decision possible. Would he submit his human will? There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus had a will that was submitted, and if there was no choice, then there would be no sacrifice and redemption. But what would he do? Would he die, or would he allow self-will to determine his destiny? Now, we know how it ends, right? But walk with me back to this Garden of Gethsemane. Born to die, but not forced to die. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. John 10. God's plan was for Jesus to offer himself as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That's the plan. But he has a will. He can say yes to the cross or he can say yes to himself. And if you didn't know how the story <clears throat> ended and you heard Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, you would wonder which way this is going to go. This was not a slam dunk in terms of it being easy. Luke 22, our text. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And when he was withdrawn with them from them about a stone's throw, he knelt and down and prayed. Now, this is his prayer, and this prayer, this Gethsemane story, is in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew tells us he prayed three times. He would go wake and warn the disciples and go back to pray. But he prays, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not, not my will, but yours be done. Now, why would he say not my will? Because as a human being, there is a will to live. There is a will to not become sin. I think ultimately you have to say that becoming sin was the, the hardest thing that Jesus faced. He that knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So would the sinless one become sin for us? Would the Lamb of God who slain from the foundation of the world, finish it? Would the seed of the woman crush the head of the serpent, as the first prophecy in Genesis 3.15 said? This prayer of Jesus is like a lot of our prayers. When we're facing a decision or a test or a temptation, 
And it really doesn't come down to how shiny the object is, about the fruit, pleasant to the eyes, good for food, desire to make one wise. That's the bait. Really comes down to the relationship and the will. The prayer of Jesus is like our prayer. Let this cup pass. If it would be your will to let me skip this, what a great idea. Let's skip the cross. Matthew writes about Jesus saying to them, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. In my text again, and I'll skip for the sake of media all the way to verse 42. Last couple phrases. Nevertheless, not my will. Matthew records the four words that sealed the deal in Matthew 26, 42. The very last couple phrases. Uh, well, I'll read it. Again, a second time he went away and prayed saying, Oh, my father. If this cup cannot pass away from me, unless I drink it, your will be done. So I believe that scripturally you would have to say that the biggest sin is the sin of self-will. And that the biggest decision you will ever make is to submit to the will of God. The Bible names some pretty terrible sins. Fornication, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality. Sodomites, this is all in 1 Corinthians 6. Thieves, covetous people, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. Revelation 21 talks about people who will go to the lake of fire, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Sin will send you to hell. Terrible sins Societal terrible sins, sins with horrible consequences and, and sins of the spirit, attitudinal sins, sins like self-will will send you to hell. The worst sin is the sin of self-will. It is the source of all sin. As I read earlier, Isaiah 53, 6, we've all, like sheep, we've gone astray. We've turned every way to his own way. Own way. But Luke twenty two forty two, nevertheless, not my will. What is, what is my will? What does it represent? In the case of Jesus, I think it's to live and not die. It's to be sinless and not become sin. It's to avoid the cup. A lot of speculation. What is in the cup? I think sin. He becomes sin. Even more than death. The cruelty of the cross and a physical body that was ripped and torn to shreds. But my will, when it is bound up in self-will, is about self-preservation and self-exaltation. It's about me, mine. It's about what's to my benefit. How's this going to turn out to me? My will may be to avoid the intrusion an inconvenience of God's will. Why is there often a war of these wills, my will and God's? Well, it might be a lack of trust that God loves us, that God is sovereign, God is wise, he knows best. 
We rationalize God out of the equation and we choose our way over God's way. Maybe we've got a short-term perspective. We can't see past the cross to the joy that's on the other side. Tonight, as we engage in prayer for school and back to school and our church, I want to challenge you to submit your will to the will of God. I challenge you to discover the power and the protection that comes from being under the mighty hand of God. I challenge you to reject the mentality that this world promotes, which is self-will and the temptation to do whatever pleases you, not my will.